Okay. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 18. I'm gonna, this is a very familiar passage of Scripture, and I'm going to have to fly through it, and I apologize for that. If you want the full story, I would need an hour, two hours to really do it all, but I want to share with you some truths. And there's an outline that should be a part uh, of the lesson if you like outlines. Now, does somebody in the back have those outlines? Bring me one, would you? I left mine in the back so I can have one as well. And then after he gets up here, come on to the fore- front, and if you need an outline, just lift your hand. He'll get you one, okay? Some people don't like them. Don't feel like you have to use an outline. It'll take him a minute to get around. But I like outlines because I think they help you grasp what I'm trying to share, all right? Sometimes it's hard. Some people are auditory learners. Some people are written learners. We're all a little bit different. Some people have to do it to learn it, but we're not going to do that this morning. We're not going to make any fathers here. So I want to talk about fatherhood. I titled the, the message, Let's Learn a Lesson from Lot. And we'll get to Lot in just a minute. It's interesting, this week there were several articles in the news about because of Father's Day, about fathers. Here's one from this week. It says, 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. 85% of children with behavioral disorders. 70% of adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers, 70% come from homes without fathers. On and on it goes. It says, children without fathers at home are nine times more likely to drop out of school. And they represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children. 90% of runaways and homeless children come from fatherless homes. We don't talk about this. The Bible does. 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 70% of youths in state-operated institutions come from fatherless homes. 90% or 85% of children who, who show in prison come from fatherless homes. 85%. Folks, I could go on and on and on, but, but as you, in your life and your experience, as you've known families, you've known people, how many of you would say, yeah, I agree that when dad's not around, there can be problems? Just lift your hand. I mean, we all know that, and yet we don't talk about it, and we don't in our culture train young men how to be fathers. We don't talk about it much, and we don't talk about how, to, how important it is. Now, I know mothers can do a good job, and I would say to you, your pastor, Kendrick, his dad left, left their family when Kendrick was young, and his mom raised Kendrick and his two older brothers, and she did an incredible job. She really did. Kendrick said when he went into the Marine Corps, it was a break from the discipline he had at home. <laughs> Ask him about that. So I am not saying mothers can't do the job, but what I'm telling you is every child deserves a father and a mother. Amen? And I want us to look at a passage that really hits this home. I believe in America today we're suffering under a curse. And it's the curse of failed fatherhood. You say, well, Phil, is that scriptural? I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to listen to this. You stay at Genesis chapter 18. If you go to the last book of the Old Testament and you go to the last two verses of the Old Testament, Malachi said this, 
Last verses. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. I'm going to send Elijah before Jesus comes. And Jesus said Elijah was John the Baptist. Okay, we know that. Verse 6. Last verse of the Old Testament. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and destroy the land with a curse. What curse is he talking about? I believe he's talking about the curse of failed fatherhood. I could go on and on with statistics. If you look at certain cultures, if you compare the Asian culture and the African-American culture in America, the black culture, one of the huge differences is in the Asian cultures, 90% of the kids are raised with a father in a home. And in the African-American culture, it's under 50%. That's one huge difference. And yet, in, it, and it's happening all across our culture. Fatherhood is not important. And we need to begin saying, yes, it is. In the Jewish culture, it was very, very important. Now, the mother held an esteemed place, but it was the father that was responsible to teach. It was the father that was responsible to lead. And marriage was not so about, much about romance and love and all that kind of stuff. It was, but it was primarily about the family unit and building a family and a structure for society. Well, you know, there's a person in, in the Bible that we always think, well, there's really two. That we, be, we talk about them as father blank. Now, Jesus referred to his heavenly father by that name more than any other. In fact, he taught us to pray, our father which art in heaven. So, father God is the most obvious thing in scripture. But second to him is another gentleman that really founded the Jewish race. And we call him Father Abraham. Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons has Father Abraham. And I am one of them. And so are you. know that song? We went as a child. When you think of Abraham, you think of the title Father. I want us to look at the two chapters, and we'll have to do it quickly. You're going to have to listen really fast today if we're going to get through this. But I want us to look at Father Abraham. If you read the story in Genesis, about, starting about chapter 12, you're going to find that Abraham was a man that God, that listened to God. In fact, first he's called a righteous man in uh, the New Testament. He said his faith was credited to him as righteousness. He was a man, and first on your outline, of faith. That's the first blank. One, Abraham was a man of faith. What does that mean? It means when God spoke to Abraham in one verse, in the very next verse, Abraham was doing what God spoke to him about. God said to Abraham, leave your family and go up to the promised land. And the next verse says, so Abraham left. Are you with me? Over and over, Abraham was a man of faith. He left his home. He left his family, and he took Sarai and Lot with him. Remember? His wife, she was going to be Sarah. I call it Sarai, S-A-R-A-I, before God changed her name. But he and his wife and his nephew. Now, why did he take his nephew Lot with him? 
because his brother had died, Lot was a fatherless young man, and so he took Lot under his wing to raise him. Does that make sense? It's interesting. The Bible says Lot went with Abraham. And the Bible said that God said to Abraham, if you will do what I'm asking you to do by faith, I will make you your name famous. I will make you into a mighty nation. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's quite a promise, isn't it? Today, I want to focus on this question. Now listen, how was God going to do that for Abraham? When we get to chapter 18, Abraham's 99 years old. Do we have any 99-year-olds here? I didn't think so. My mom's 94. She'll be 95 this summer. I got an uncle who's 97. He'll be 98 this. But most of us don't live to 99. But Abraham did. And Abraham gets a visit from God and two angels. Now, when I say God, there's a lot of conversation about who is this person in the story. It says the Lord. May have been Jesus, you know, Jesus existed before he was born as a baby. He may have come in the form of a man. I'm not going to get caught up in that, but I want you to listen to this amazing story. We're going to start in Genesis 18, verse 1. Remember, I'm focusing on fatherhood. And the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He, Abraham, lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him, When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, Three seas of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where's Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But he said, no, but you did laugh. Pray with me. Father, this is your word. Would you open it up to us today? Would our hearts be open to your Holy Spirit as it reveals truth to us? Father, that's what we want. Your word says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search it out. As we search your scriptures today, may we find treasure. May lives be changed. 
And may we be like Abraham as you speak to us. May we do immediately what you ask us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So how many of you have heard the story before? This is, I hope. How many of you have never heard that before? There's got to be somebody. Anyway, then that's fine. But this is a story from the Old Testament, a very important story. And we're not done with it yet. That's just the beginning. So the Lord and two angels appear, and Abraham invites them in. This man of faith invites them in because that was the hospitable thing to do. And so they came. It's interesting. He said to a servant, go get a calf and kill it so we can eat it. He said to his wife, fix some meal. How many of you, how many of you wives like unexpected guests that your husband bring home? Anyway, you don't have to raise your hand. But that's what happened. And so they ate. And the Lord said, you're 99. He didn't say it here, but we know he's 99 from the previous chapter. He said, next year, you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughed about that because she's 90, 89 maybe. I mean, how many 89-year-olds that you know of get pregnant? So that was a truly America, but it was going to happen. My question to you is, why did God wait till Abraham was 100 to give him Isaac? Well, I think this story is going to tell us. Because number one, Abraham was a man of faith. He is a man that did what God said. He was a man when God said, Abraham, I need you to do something. He said, okay, can I ask you a question? Are you people of faith? When God's word or the spirit of God speaks to you, are you willing to say yes? I, to, I tell Kendrick and Melissa, and, I, and I, the others may have heard me say, you know the most important thing to happen when we gather as God's people is not how good the music is or how great the sermon is, it's is the spirit of God here. Is the spirit of God here? And Jesus said he would give his spirit to those who ask. And so Abraham was a man of God. The spirit of God was with him. And he obeyed God. But it's interesting, up until his age of 99, he had had a child by his slave, remember? Hagar. And he had Lot, who was his nephew that he raised. But he had not yet gotten the child of promise. Would you have given up? I want, you, I want to tell you, I would have. 99 years and you still didn't have the child of promise. I would have given up. But Abraham didn't. I want you to know he was not just a man of faith. Look at verse 1. It says, And the Lord appeared to him by the yokes of Mamre as he sat at the door, at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Where was Abraham in the afternoon when the Lord and the angel showed up? He was sitting at his tent's door. He was home taking care of business. Are you with me? His family was important to him. Very important to him. Abraham was a man of family. That's the number two. He was not focused on himself. He was focused on whatever it took to take care of Lot and Sarai and his family. He did what was ever ne necessary to, to do that. You know, even today we're called children of Abraham. That's amazing. I want you to know if I had a choice and the Lord asked me People ask me, Phil, how do you stay so thin? And I say, I chose my parents very carefully. Of course, that's a joke. <laughs> but if I was in heaven and God asked me, I think I would have loved to have been born Jewish. Now, this is just me being selfish. Would that mean my life would be easy? No. But I could claim I was one of the chosen, you know. Any of you have Jewish 
heritage that you're proud of? Oh, good, we have some that are. Good, praise the Lord. Now, in history, we know that that's been a difficult thing, a difficult uh, burden to bear, but what a privilege. But Abraham has been called by God, set apart by God. God's going to bless him and the whole world, but how is he going to do it? I want you to know he's not just a man of faith and family. Look at verse 1 again. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. What does that mean, the oaks of Mamre? Well, I'll tell you, and I put it on your outline, that if you look in Genesis 14, 24, Mamre was the guy that owned the land. Abraham didn't own any of it. So somehow he met this guy, and he, this guy, Mamre, allowed him to pitch his tent there and live under these oak trees. He was a renter. The only part of the Holy Land Abraham ever owned was a grave. And yet God promised it all to him. Isn't that amazing? But Mamre owned land, and we know Mamre was his friend. How do we know that? Because if you go back to Genesis 14, 24, it says Abraham had allies and friends. Mamre, Mamre the Amorite and Eskol Aner, these friends risked their lives for him. It's the story of how Lot, who was living down in Sodom, had been captured and taken away by these enemies, and Abraham took his men and his friends with him, and they fought and saved Lot and the whole city and brought him back. Do you remember that story? Maybe you haven't heard it, but the, you can read that in chapter 14. And so we know that when Abraham made friends, those friends were willing to risk their lives for him. Question. Do you have any friends that would risk their life for you? It's, it amazes me in America today that we live in these huge cities, people all around us, and we don't even know our neighbors. When we come to church, we may know people, but we seldom get close to each other. Abraham had friends that would risk his life for him and he for them. He was a man that had friends. I've got to move on. But that wasn't all. Notice he was a man of wealth. He had herds. Now, we haven't got time to read all of that, but trust me, he was a very wealthy man. In fact, the Bible tells us he, Lot, his nephew, got wealthy too. And what, ha what happened? They had to separate because the land wouldn't support the both of them. Their herdsmen were fighting. And so he was a wealthy man, but we also know when he, he handled his, number four, his finances in a godly way. How do we know that? The Bible says in Genesis 14, 20, that after he captured the enemies and saved Lot, they captured a lot of loot, and he gave 10% of it to the Lord as a tithe. We know Abraham tithed, right? He knew how to handle his finances. And I would challenge all of you today, handling your finances, this is a big stumbling block for all of us. Yeah, I mean, I, it just is, especially in today's world. And at least there's no inflation. We don't have to worry about that. <laughs> I'm kidding. And everybody's blaming everybody, but we have to live with whoever caused it. We've got to live with it. Well, when you learn how to handle your finances and you learn to give the Lord his, what's due him first, it's amazing how God blesses what's left. The Bible says if you will be faithful in giving, the Lord will bless you, and I've just seen it in my life. Anybody else seen it in your life that God's blessed you as you've been faithful? Amen. So he was a man of faith. He was a man focused on his family. He was a man who had real friends. He was a man who knew how to handle his finances. And number five, he was focused on the future. Now, how do we know he was focused on the future? Because God promised him his name would be great, promised him he'd be the father of 
Many nations and the whole world will be blessed. God promised him, I'm going to give you this entire land. The whole holy land is going to belong to you. How much of it did he get, of that did he get in his lifetime? Zero. His name wasn't famous by the time he died. He wasn't a mighty nation by the time he died. He hadn't blessed the whole world by the time he died. And he owned, only owned a grave when he died. He had to be focused on the future because all those promises came to pass after his death. Are you with me? Let's read some of the rest of the story. So this has all happened. And now the Lord and these angels get ready to leave. And here's what happened. Verse 16. Then the men set out from there and they looked down towards Sodom and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. So are you with me? They get up to go and Abraham walks with them and they're up on the side of the mountain. They're looking down at Sodom. Verse 17, And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? What was the Lord sending those two angels down to Sodom and Gomorrah to do? He was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because their sin was so terrible. Any kind of an evil thing that you can imagine was going on down there where Lot lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at verse 20. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have, they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men, the two men, turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So the two angels leave to go down to Sodom, and the Lord is standing there with Abram. Then Abram drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? I want you to stop right there. Abraham knows who's down in Sodom. Who's down there? Lot. Lot has a family. He has servants. And Abraham, who already risked his life to save Lot, asked the Lord, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Verse 24. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from, from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. What happens next? Abraham says, Well, what if you only find forty-five? And God says, okay, if I find 45. And then he says, what if you only find 40? And, and, and God says, okay, if I find 40. What if you find 30? And what if you find 20? And where does he finally end up? Abraham says, well, what if you find 10? Will you destroy the whole country or the whole city because of 10? And God says, what? No, if I find 10 righteous people, I won't destroy it. Look at verse 33. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Now, what's Abraham thinking? Those two angels are going to go down there and destroy it, but I just talked God into saving it if there's ten righteous. He's not worried. He goes back to his tent to have a good night's rest. But now let's see what happens in chapter 19. We've looked at Abraham, who's a man of faith, a man of family, friends, handling his finances well, focused on the future. Now we're going to look. At Lot. I want to start, as we talk about Lot, to remind you of something. Some people have a lot of bad things to say about Lot, 
But you need to understand something. The Bible tells us that Lot was a righteous man. You may want to make a note on your outline. 2 Peter 2.7. Don't have time to turn there, but let me read it. The apostle Peter wrote about Lot. God rescued righteous Lot, whose righteous soul was tormented day after day by the deeds of unprincipled men. For by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with lawless deeds. Four times Peter refers to Lot as righteous. I don't want you to get down on Lot too much. It's easy to criticize him as we read this story, but remember, he, he believed in the Lord. He tried to live a life where he didn't sin. He tried to be righteous. But the problem was, Lot was not focused on the five things that Abraham was. We're going to see that in this story. Chapter 19. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them and bowed himself with his face to the earth and said, My lords, please turn aside to your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise up early and go on your way. Who does that remind you of? Abraham did the same thing. He said, hey, let me come to my house and I'll get you something to eat and you can rest. They said, no, we will spend the night in the town square. But he pressed them strongly, so they turned aside to him and entered his house. And he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. But before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both young and old, all the people to the last man surrounded the house, and they called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Lot went out to the men at the entrance, shut the door after him, and said, I beg you, brothers, do not act so wickedly. Behold, I have two daughters who have known, not known any man. Let me bring them out to you, and do to them as you please. Only do nothing to these men, for they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, Stand back. And they said, This fellow came to sojourn, and he has become the judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. Then they pressed hard against the man Lot and drew near to break down the door. But the man reached out their hands and brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the blindness, with blindness the men who were at the entrance of the house, both small and great, so that they were themselves out groping for the door. You've heard that story before, right? Now, what's the contrast between Lot? I believe God in the Bible put chapter 18 next to chapter 19 so we could compare righteous Abraham and righteous Lot. They were both men who believed in God. They were both men who tried to live by what they thought the Lord wanted them to do. But what was the difference? Well, let me say this. Abraham went to the Holy Land. Why? He was called there by God and he went by faith. The Bible tells us that Lot went in, in Genesis 12, 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. In, in chapter 13, verse 5, and Lot, who was traveling with Abram. There is no mention of Scripture of Lot doing anything because the Lord had told him. He was just kind of tagging along with Abraham. How many of you spent some time in life tagging along? You had no purpose. You had no direction from God. You were just doing what looked good. In fact, the Bible tells us before this chapter that when Lot's herdsmen, he had lots of cattle, fought with the herdsmen of Abraham, Abraham said, we can't be fighting amongst ourselves. He said to Lot, so you choose. Do you want to go to the right or the left? And we'll 
separate, and Lot said, I don't want to go right or left, I want to go down there. The Bible says that Lot looked and saw the well-watered plains of the plain of the Jordan. Man, we're up here in the mountains. I want to go down there in the valley where my herds can grow, where I can prosper more. And the Bible says he pitched his tent toward Sodom. He didn't, wasn't going to go into Sodom. That's an evil place. But I'm, gonna, I'm just going to get closer down there because I can make more money. I can be more prosperous. And he pitched his tent towards Sodom. I really believe with all my heart, while God, while God prompted Abraham to be a man of faith, God allowed Lot to be a man focused on his own lusts, on the only, what he wanted, what he thought was right. Look at your outline. Instead of focusing on faith, Lot focused, I think, on pleasure. Pleasure, that's my first one for Lot. How do we know that? Well, if you just watch his life, you have to read between the lines. He wasn't asking God, what do I do next? He was just saying, man, I want that. I want that. He was focused on pleasure. He looked and saw the plane. He was focused on the physical and not the spiritually, the spiritual. Well, what about Abraham, number two, was a man of family. What about Lot? Well, it tells us right here. There's a hint, you, but it's all through the Scripture. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Where was Abraham when the angels came? At the door of his tent, at home with his family. Where was Lot? Sitting in the city gate. Now, what's the significance? I got to go to the Holy Land. I've been there twice, but the first time I went, we went to northern Israel to a place called Dan, and they've rebuilt this little town of Dan. The walls uh, and the entrance, they don't have the wooden gates there, but it's all the stones have been rebuilt. And you go in through the gate, and all, immediately there's a left turn because it's easier to defend. And so as you come in the gate, along the wall, there's a stone bench. It's an amazing thing. And then at the end of the bench, there's a raised platform. Now, the leader of the city would sit on that raised platform platform we had a guy named pastor larry who went to sit in that spot and we called him king larry after that because he sat where the king sits but that bench in the gate and it's mentioned many times in scripture was where the men went to conduct commerce it's where they went it's where the men of influence gathered so where was lot in the evening when the angel showed up was he at home taking care of his family no he was in the gate, trying to be a big guy. Lot wasn't focused on his family. He was focused on his pride. Number two, pride. More important to, than his family to him was how big a man he could be in the city. Why else would you be in the city gate? Maybe he was there doing business deals. We don't know. But he was not focused on his family. We know, if you read on, we also know he invited the men to his house, the two men, and they finally came reluctantly. Question, who prepared dinner? It says, Lot prepared. He made them a feast and baked unleavened bread and they ate. Where was his wife? Where were his daughters? Where were the servants? He didn't see, maybe his wife didn't like unexpected company. I don't know. And then you read on, when the men of the city came and said, send those men out. We want to have relations with them. He said, no, but I'll send my two daughters out. 
Now, ladies, I'm going to ask you this question. Do you think that's what God would have had him do? Is Cindy's daughter? How many of you say no? Yeah. I want you to know that's a loud signal that Lot doesn't get it. He's taken on the, what the culture around him did. And the culture around him, the men were the most important thing. And you welcomed them. You did anything for them. And if you had to give your daughters away for them, you did. That's not God the way God does things. He di- in those few verses, he demonstrates that he's not a man of family. And then he demonstrates he's, he's a man of pride. He, and he's focused on himself. And then, more than that, he's not a man with friends. He's more interested in power. Number three is power. He's sitting in the city gate. And when the men of the city come to the house, do they act like they're his friends? No, he stands up. He says, brothers, please don't do this thing to these streets. You know, I'll send my daughters out and they say, look at this guy. He's come, but he wants to be a judge over us. Now, I don't know anything about the relationship between Lot and the men of the city, but those verses teach me he hasn't made many friends. Are you with me? He's more interested in his position and power than in making friends. And then what about Abraham was a man of finances. What about Lot? Lot was a man who wanted more possessions. Are you with me? He was just out to get as much as he could get. He, was, he had a worldly focus on, on what you own. And when, no matter how much you get, if you're, you have a work, worldly focus and you're not a good steward of your finances, it'll never be enough. You heard it, the wealthy, wealthy man that was asked, well, man, you got so much money. How much more do you want? He said, just a little. Because it's never enough. And that was Lot, I think. Remember, he was a righteous man. Not a man of faith, but... Not a man of family, not a man with friends, not a man who handled his finances well. Instead, he was a man of pride. He was a man of pleasure, focused on pleasure, a man focused on power, a man focused on his possessions. And finally, he was a man who was focused on the present. Let me read on real quickly. Then the men said to Lot, verse 12, Have you anyone else here? Now, I want you to watch something. Sons-in-law, sons, daughters, and your two daughters who are here with you. I want you to do the counting with me. These guys are angels. Do you think they know how, much, how big Lot's family was? Would they be asking him if he had other family members if, they, if he didn't? Do you have any else? It was, there was Lot and his wife. He said, do you have anyone Sons-in-law, that's two more. Sons, that's six. Daughters, that's eight. Plus the two daughters at the house. How many is that all together? Add it up, it's ten. Remember what, he, what Abraham argued with the Lord about? So I think Lot had at least ten people in his family, and it appears that his sons, if he had them, and maybe other daughters, were estranged from him. They apparently weren't at the house. And it, then look what it says. He says, you have the, bring them here out of this place. Verse 13, for we are about to destroy this place because the outcry against its people has become great before the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went up and said to his sons-in-law who were to marry his daughters, get up, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-law 
to be jesting. Did they believe him? No, no. As the morning dawned, the angel urged Lot, saying, Up and take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he lingered. So the men seized him and his wife and his two daughters by the hand of the Lord, being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. And as they brought them out, one said, Escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills, lest you be swept away. And Lot said to them, O oh, no, my lords, behold your servant, if your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have shown me great kindness in saving my life, but I cannot escape to the hills, lest the disaster overtake me and I die. Behold, this city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Let me escape there. Is it not a little one, and my life will be saved? And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this favor also, that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Escape there quickly, for I can do nothing till you arrive there. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. Now what happened then? As they're going up the mountain to Zoar, and they said, Don't look back. God's raining down brimstone. Maybe it was a volcanic eruption. We don't know. But Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, and I've been there. It's black. It's destroyed today. And who looked back? The Bible says Lot's wife looked back. Now I would say to you, Lot's wife was not mentioned until he went to Sodom. I think he married a woman from Sodom. Now there's no confirmation that, but it appears it's true. And I think she didn't want to leave family. She didn't want to leave the malls in the city, whatever. She turned and looked back, and the Bible tells us what? She turned into a pillar of salt. But more than that, when Lot got up in the mountains, the Bible says he lived in a cave and his two daughters said, now our father won't have any descendants. I think it's because their brothers were killed. Uh, You have to read into it a bit. But they say our father won't have any descendants. Let's get him drunk. And then I'll have sex with him one night and you have sex with him another night. And that way we'll have children by our father. And they did that. And those Uh, Two daughters of Lot gave birth to two sons. One was called Moab, and the other's called Ben-Ami, and that's the Moabites and the Ammonites. Those two nations became the enemies of Isaac, of Israel. Now, that's a lot of information to throw at you, but do you understand the story? Here we have Abraham, a man of faith, And Lot and Abraham, both righteous men, but one focused on his faith, his family, his friends, handling his finances, and he kept his eyes on the future. The other one didn't. He focused on pleasure and pride and power and possessions and the present. I want to conclude with one verse that's the key to all of this, but I've never heard it preached on. Genesis 8, this is chapter 18, chapter 19. The key is found in Genesis 18, verse 19. Would you go there with me? Now we're back at Genesis 18, verse 19. This is the verse where the Lord is with Abraham and the two angels are going down to Sodom. And before Abraham begins to negotiate with God, God says this. Shall I, verse 17, the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Verse 18, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed by him. Now here's the verse. It's a difficult verse, so please stay with me. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice 
so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Are you with me? Abraham was already a man of faith. He was already living for the Lord, doing good things, having friends and neighbors, but he had not learned at the age of 99 how to raise a godly son. And God said he's going to have to learn a lesson from Lot's failure and when he learns a lesson, he thought he had raised Lot to be righteous and to raise a righteous family. Did Lot raise a righteous family? No. In fact, the Bible says that the next morning, when the sun had risen on the earth, when Lot came to Zoar, that the Lord rained down on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from heaven. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord, looking down at Sodom. And he looked down towards Sodom. What did Abraham expect to see? He expected to see business as usual, and he saw it had been destroyed. And he looked, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Here's my question. What did that smoke represent to Abraham? I'm going to tell you what it represented. It represented his failure with Lot. He had taught Lot how to make a living, how to get rich, but he hadn't taught Lot how to raise a godly family. Are you with me? And God said, okay. I'm going to bless the whole world through Abraham, not because just of his faith, but because he's going to learn how, Genesis 18, 19, to raise a godly family. And when he learns how to do that, I'm going to bless the whole world through him. In fact, God's strategy for turning the world back to him in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, San Francisco and L.A., <laughs> his strategy was one father. Are you with me? His strategy wasn't something grandiose and armies and everything. He said, no. At the age of 100, I'm going to give a man a, child, a son, and he is going to finally figure out how to raise a godly son, Isaac, who will raise two sons. One of them will raise 12 sons. And in 400 years, they'll become 2 million people. And I'm going to bless the whole world. Someday, Jesus will be born from them, and I'll bless the whole world. So what's my point to you today? Men, look at me. I, I've already asked how many are fathers. Many of us will fail as fathers. But it's never too late to try again. You say, well, I can't have children. Listen, there are thousands of children in this city that need you. There's probably one in your neighborhood that just needs your voice of encouragement. The mo I went to the children's class this morning. Are the teachers here? I don't know if they're in here. Yeah. Three kids in there. I told them they're doing the most important job in the church. I went to the youth class. Are the youth teachers here? I don't see him. You know how many they had? One. Now, let me just, you've got to hear me. The most important task of a church is training the next generation. We can come to church. We can be good people. We can do wonderful things. We can try to be better, but that's not the end, the end product of knowing the Lord, of coming to faith. When you come to faith, God's, Jesus' last command was what? Go and make disciples. 
The Old Testament is about fatherhood, and you can find it all the way through failed fatherhood and, and so on. The New Testament is we're supposed to be fathers and mothers to make disciples of all nations. There is no greater task than that. So let me ask you a question. I don't want to embarrass you because I'm going to raise my hand. How many of you have children, grandchildren, nieces, and nephews that aren't living for the Lord? Don't we all have people in our families that aren't living for the Lord? I want us to pray for them today. I want us to pray, and I want us to get our focus on them and off of us. You know what I pray for my grandkids? I've got seven now. They're perfect. <laughs> seven is a perfect number. I pray, Lord, lead them not into temptation. Deliver them from evil. Send the forces of light to do battle with the forces of darkness in their lives. If Jesus told us to pray, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, he knew we needed to pray for that. Not just for us, but for our kids. Too often we pray about, man, I got a runny nose. Lord, just fix my runny nose. Is that the most important? It's all right to pray for that. But what's more important? Your runny nose or those kids and grandkids? We should be on our knees praying for them. Would you stand? I've gone long. And you listened fast. Thank you. You have the outline. I would encourage you to read those two chapters because you'll find more in there. But when, I, when the Lord showed me this incredible picture of two fathers, two righteous men, side by side in Scripture, in Genesis 18 and 19, and the key to those two chapters is Genesis 18 19, that Abraham, at the age of 100, was going to be given a baby because he wasn't ready for that baby till he turned 100. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Don't feel bad if, if you haven't been a perfect father. Never give up praying for your kids. Never give up praying for your grandkids. And I would challenge you, moms and dads, members of this church, work together to make the children, the young people, the focus of what you're trying to do here. Not just a place where you can come and enjoy a worship service. Are you with me? Raising kids is hard work, amen? And raising new Christians is hard work. But we all need to be about it. I'm going to stand here in the front. I'm going to ask the praise team to come. Come on right now, guys. We're going to sing, and here's what I want you to do. And you don't have to do this, but I'm just challenging you as a step of faith. Sometimes, and I only do it if the Lord puts it on your heart, I'm going to stand here, and if you want me to join you in praying for someone in your family, just come and shake my hand and say, pray with me and move on. Okay, does that make sense? I want us to make a commitment as a church to begin to think and pray generationally. Amen? Does that make sense? I tell my girls, and it's unfair, I have four daughters. Four daughters, and I tell them, my success in life is not going to be measured by my bank account, my house, my car. It's going to be measured by why, whether they and their children and their children are still living for the Lord after I'm long gone. Amen? So I'm going to stand here. I know this is unusual. Do not feel any pressure. But if you're concerned for your family and you'd like me to pray with you for your family, just come and shake my hand and go back to your seat. Fair enough? While we sing. Let's sing.